Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. This episode features the prologue and first chapter of Secret Identity by Alex Segura. It's read by local actor Katie Mejias. Secret Identity was published in March of 2022 by Flatiron Books. If you'd like to help support this podcast, listen for details in the closing of this episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks. It's 1975, and the comic book industry is struggling. But Carmen Valdez doesn't care. She's an assistant at Triumph Comics, which doesn't have the creative zeal of Marvel, nor the buttoned-up efficiency of DC. But it doesn't matter. Carmen is tantalizingly close to fulfilling her dream of writing a superhero book. That dream is nearly a reality when one of the Triumph writers enlists her to help to create a new character, which they call the Lethal Lynx, Triumph's first female hero. But her colleague is acting strangely and asking to keep her involvement a secret. And then... He's found dead, with all of their scripts turned into the publisher without her name. Carmen is desperate to piece together what happened to him, to hang on to her piece of the links, which turns out to be a runaway hit. But that's complicated by a surprise visitor from her home in Miami, a tenacious cop who is piecing everything together too quickly for Carmen and the tangled web of secrets and resentments among the passionate eccentrics who write comics for a living. Secret Identity by Alex Segura Prologue Her eyes fluttered open at the sound. Carmen Valdez rolled out of her small twin bed with ease, the muscle memory kicking in, even now in the middle of the night. The shrill scream was familiar, too. She tiptoed across her small bedroom, avoiding the toys strewn on the floor as she made her way to the door. Another scream. Mommy. The screaming and arguing were routine. Carmen found that she'd become numb to it. She could almost predict it in the hours before bed. If Mommy and Papi were drinking, drinking that stuff... It was a bad sign. It meant they were changing, becoming meaner, darker, something else. She would rush through her routine, rush to get to the relative safety of her room, her closed door, her darkness. But she also knew the darkness could only shield her from so much. It hid her, but it didn't silence them. She knew the screams would come. Carmen would just pray she could sleep through them. She took the steps slowly and sat in her usual spot. They lived in a compact three-bedroom house in a suburban slice of Miami. It was worn out in a lived-in, comfortable way. It was home. Carmen loved it here. Felt safe here. Most of the time. She held on to the spindles of the thick, faux-wood banister and looked down onto the tiny living room, lit only by a flickering lamp that loomed over her parents. The screaming had stopped for now, replaced by a sound Carmen had never heard, at least not from her father, 
sobbing. ¿Por qué? ¿Por qué, Clara? Why? Why are you doing this? Her father's stiff, unfamiliar English surprised Carmen. Her parents always spoke to each other in Spanish. It was their language, their way. English was something else, a chore, a means to an end. To hear her Cuban father force himself to speak English, while crying no less, gave Carmen a disorienting feeling that made her question if she was even awake. Get up, Pepe. Barate. Hableme como un hombre, por Dios, Carmen's mother said, her words tight and seething through gritted teeth. Her father's sobs continued, racked painful cries that amplified Carmen's dizzy, frightened feelings. The ground under her felt uncertain. Her world seemed shaken and malleable. She didn't like that. She felt her face redden, the tears sliding down her cheeks slowly as she fought back the whimpering sounds she knew would come anyway. What had she done? What had made her parents this way? What could she do to fix it? Before she could ponder it further, her mother's eyes met hers, pulsing with rage at first, then softening with surprise and shame. The entire spectrum of emotions playing out in less than a second. Carmen tried to push herself back into the shadows, but it was too late. She'd been spotted. She did it anyway. She heard her mother's slow footfalls as she approached the banister, could almost feel her looking up at the spot where Carmen had been. Carmencita, ¿qué haces? her mother asked, her voice mannered and forced, clearly trying to not sound like she'd had too much of that stuff to drink, trying to sound like she was her usual daytime mommy. Es muy tarde, mijita. Carmen didn't respond. She pivoted her small body away from her crying father and slowly crept back to her room. Carmen had built defenses for these nights, these dark moments where her life felt unmoored, unsafe. She'd think of better times, warmer times, walking to La Farmacia with Papi, his big hand in hers, the smell of his sweat and cologne mixing together to create a familiar, comforting feeling, his worn features shifting into a tired smile as he held the door open for her, his princesa. They wouldn't go far. They didn't come to the pharmacy for medicine, usually. They'd make a beeline for the magazine aisle, past the glossies and paperback books, to a wireframe spinner rack loaded with pictures so colorful and welcoming that they practically whispered Carmen's name as she approached. The red, white, and yellow of the Flash, the patriotic gear of Captain America, the muted green and yellow insectoid costume of the Fly, the gray, red, and black of the Dusk. It was their ritual, their special routine. Bobby would walk with her. She'd step back and watch him spin the rack, his fingers gently touching the stacks of comics as it went around and around. He'd grab one or two, show them to Carmen, and then recite a brief description. Batman tiene mucha fuerza, pero es muy inteligente también, Carmencita. 
or Captain America, un hombre bueno, decente. Then they'd walk to the cash register, and like clockwork, her father would tell her how, as a newly arrived Cuban immigrant with a wife and baby daughter, he'd learned to read English with comics. Learned about this country they now called home from the adventures of people like Superman, the Blue Beetle, Martian Manhunter, or the Freedom Alliance. Carmen would nod and smile. She knew the story by heart, but she loved it. She loved this man, good-hearted and strong, fallible, but always striving to be better. Carmen thought back to those moments as she climbed the stairs on all fours, like a cat trying to wiggle through a fence without making a sound. She needed to go back to her safe place. She needed to cover herself, hide herself, with a cloak of her own creation. Only then, in her cramped room, loaded with boxes of comics and drawings and ideas, would she be safe. She had to become someone else to survive. Chapter One A scream tore through the office. It was barely eleven, and Carmen Valdez already wanted to die. Carmen, where are you? Her smile tightened a bit as she turned from the large, noisy copier in the small, overcrowded Triumph Comics office on 18th Street in the Flatiron District. The usual workday bustle seemed to grind to a halt as her boss, Triumph Comics owner and editor-in-chief Jeffrey Carlyle, walked across the space, hands flailing like a young bird desperately trying to stay airborne, nothing but asphalt below. He cut a quick path to where Carmen stood, her expression still calm, eyes wide and expectant. This was their shtick, Carmen had come to accept. Carlyle would hiss and whine about some inane thing, misplaced original artwork, an appointment he hadn't been told was happening, or just because he felt like it. And Carmen would calmly explain to him why the world was this way. It'd been like this for as long as Carmen had worked as Carlisle's secretary. Almost a year. It was the dance. Right here, boss, she said, her tone clear and alert. Copy Maynard's new script. Just takes a minute with this new machine. Kind of amazing. I asked you to do that hours ago, he said, his tone somewhat muted. A tiny, fruitless victory. Carmen caught a glimpse of the two beleaguered bullpen employees, looking down at their passed-up stations at the first sign of conflict. They were probably making a last-minute correction to the art on a book that was running hot. The sounds of Carlyle snipping at someone were a welcome and entertaining distraction. Carmen raised an eyebrow at them before turning to face her boss. That was for Grey Wolf, the one where he battles the interloper, remember? She said, handing him a stack of just copied pages, the fresh ink smearing on her hands. This is his new avatar one, issue 15. Right, right. Carlyle mumbled to himself as he grabbed the pages, his shrug of surrender almost interceptable as his tiny eyes scanned the top sheet of the script. The book was hot. 
Len Maynard was Triumph's top writer, but that didn't mean he was their best or their fastest. Fans loved him for his bouncy philosophical dialogue and innate, almost instinctual ability to create characters who felt otherworldly. Carlyle hated him for his spaced-out trippy plots that clearly stemmed from Len's fondness for mushrooms, acid, and white Russians. Not so much because of Maynard's literary aspirations, but because in Carlyle's twisted view, Len's attempts to elevate his work were seen as an affront to Carlyle, a man with his own lofty literary dreams of writing the great American novel. Let's see what kind of cool vibe we get tapped into this time, he said, spitting out cool vibe with unbridled disdain. Carlyle swiveled away towards his office and Carmen was left alone by the copier again. A brief respite. She took a moment to tie back her shoulder-length black hair in a hasty ponytail. In about an hour, he'd want his lunch. Pastrami on rye, lots of mustard, no pickles, laid out on his desk. Maybe with a bottle of Coke. Secretarial work was a slog, but Carmen was good at her job. When Carlyle complained, it was never about her. It was at her, usually about the staff or his own family. She kept her boss on a schedule, kept him focused, and, if she wasn't being modest, kept the Triumph Comics machinery humming. She invoiced talent for work. She made sure artists had script pages to draw, and she coordinated staff time off and the holiday party, usually for meager thanks and plenty of quibbles and complaints. She did it all with a knowing grin, too. She wanted to be here and she wasn't going to let anyone shake her. Working for Jeffrey Carlyle was a dream. Working in comics was the dream. The dream that brought 28-year-old Carmen to New York from Miami. To snowy winters, air conditioning units, moldy studio apartments, skyrocketing murder rates, and smoky streets. The New York of 1975 was fraught, menacing, and hopped up on paranoia, where muggings were commonplace and home break-ins a rite of passage. You didn't wear your nice jewelry, and you looked over your shoulder as often as you could. This was in stark contrast to the tropical suburbia that Carmen still thought of as home. She was worlds away from Miami's arroz con pollo, and one single warm-weather wardrobe, away from Catherine. She shook her head and grabbed the original script from the copier. Before Carmen could make her way back to her own tiny desk, stationed outside Carlyle's large glass-walled alcove, she felt a tap on her shoulder. Need a break? The nasal voice gave it away. Carmen turned around, unsurprised, to find Harvey Stern, his lanky figure leaning on the doorway that led to the main elevators, a warm grin on his long, mischievous face, his overgrown brown hair flopping onto his forehead. Harvey was a junior editor at Triumph. He also had cigarettes. God, yes, she said, dropping the script back onto the copier and following him out. 
Can we smoke outside, though? I need to feel some kind of air. Harvey nodded, and they moved in unison toward the elevator bank. Carmen gently swatted his wandering arm away from the small of her back. Harvey was sweet. Too sweet. And sweet on her. Carmen wasn't dense. She saw how men looked at her. More importantly, she understood how men looked at her. Trim and fit, with sleek, dark brown hair that fell to her shoulders, and a pair of feral eyes that seemed to amplify a sharp, sly grin. The kind of cool, distant beauty and presence that could be both mysterious and warm at once. She'd heard variations on the theme from too many dudes, and it never ceased to bore her. Harvey was a nice kid, maybe not even a kid. She honestly couldn't tell how old he was. But there was no way he was a day over 25. Carmen was closer to 30 than he'd ever get. He played off the gesture and tapped his feet as they waited for the elevator. So, what was he bitching about now? he said, his words sounding awkward and stilted. Oh, he forgot what he asked me to copy, she said, not meeting his gaze. You know, the usual. Harvey was, as far as these things went, one of her only friends at work. But being a nice guy among a squad of over-the-hill assholes didn't really mean much. She didn't grade on a curve when it came to friends which was probably a big reason why she'd spend a lot of time on her own since moving to New York. Carmen hadn't figured out if Harvey was being nice to her because he genuinely wanted to be friends, or if he wanted to be friends because he hoped it'd mean more. Carmen was certain he'd sleep with her if she let him. Most men would fall into that category. But he was nice, and that was fine, at least when it came to passing the time at work. They cut through the vacant lobby and made it out onto the street. It was a chilly, gray March day, the clouds threatening rain as the entire city struggled to figure out if they needed to cling to their winter coats or if it was okay to saunter outside in a lighter jacket. The past week had felt colder than any March should, and the city seemed particularly unhinged. New York was a nexus point for young people looking for work, but the city itself seemed to be ripping apart. Vacant buildings, rampant crime. The most beloved city in the country was disintegrating, and all they could do was watch from the side. Carmen shivered as she reached for Harvey's outstretched pack of parliaments. Not just from the cold, but from everything. He lit her cigarette before his, and they slumped into their midday smoking positions. How's the new lens script? Harvey asked, probably spasming internally at the brief silence between them. It's good, Carmen responded, blowing a quick cloud of smoke out onto the street. She watched the people walk by the building, all hypnotized by their own to-do lists and problems. An overburdened mother dragging a toddler behind. A leather-clad man wearing visor sunglasses, nodding to a beat only he could hear. An elderly couple, looking like a pair of Rip Van Winkles, awakening to a world they didn't recognize. 
The flurry of people seemed to blend into the gray, polluted skies of the kinetic city Carmen now called home, creating an energy she still hadn't found a way to channel or understand. Carmen wasn't new to New York, not really, but it felt like it'd taken her a year just to learn to survive. The rest of her time here had been spent trudging along with a bit more confidence. I love this stuff, Carmen continued, turning to look at Harvey. His eyes seemed to widen upon contact, hungry for some kind of connection. It feels more alive, you know? Less paint-by-numbers than what he did at Marvel. It just feels like he's trying to do more with it, give these characters a reason for being. Yeah, yeah, totally, he said, nodding his head. Have you read Starlin's Warlock? She felt offended by his question, but didn't let on. Come on, Harvey. Of course I have. But I liked his stuff on Captain Marvel more, she said. Harvey nodded once more before turning away, taking a long drag from his cigarette. I feel that's what Maynard's doing with Avatar, he said, almost to himself. I mean... That idea was pretty lame before he came onto the book. It was dull, Carmen said. It read like a bad Superman knockoff. And Superman's pretty boring as is. Harvey chuckled. Yeah, yeah, exactly, he said. She caught him mouthing boring to himself. It was almost cute. Carlyle would be slithering around the office soon, probably looking for something to complain about but she didn't want to get back upstairs just yet. You think we're in trouble? Harvey asked. It took her a minute to figure out what he meant. The company? She asked, playing it coy. Harvey knew Carmen was privy to a lot more than the average employee. She sorted Carlyle's mail. She took his calls. She often heard at least one side of those conversations through the thin wall that separated her from their boss. It was the oldest trick in the office politics playbook. Pick the secretary's brain. The exertion of asking the question made Harvey lose his nerve. He stammered a bit and let it drop. She was fine with that. Carmen looked at her watch. I have to get back, she said. Thanks for the smoke. Any big plans for the weekend? Harvey shrugged. It was cute this time. She wanted to like him more. She could use a real friend, she thought. I might see a show at CBGB on Sunday, he said, trying to play it off. Carmen rolled her eyes at the attempted cool. I didn't think you were into the hip new sounds, Harvey, she said with a tilt of her head. Well, no, but I... She patted his arm with a quick double tap. Relax, Carmen said. That seems fun. Who's playing? Patty Smith and television? Yeah, I think so, he said. Shit, Carmen thought. I got his hopes up. Have a good time if I don't see you, she said as she turned toward the building. She tried to offer up a warm smile, but Harvey was looking at his feet. This reading of Secret Identity was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about the author on his website, alexsegura.com. 
If you'd like to help us be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. Now, even a dollar a month can make a big difference and we could really use your support. Watch for even more great perks coming soon for our patrons. And we also have some cool merchandise available on Redbubble. Check the show notes for the link and for the links to our websites and social media. For more podcast fun, check out the True Crime Cafe, a caffeinated true crime podcast. Come join the True Crime Baristas, two friends who bond each week over their mutual obsession with real-life cases. Grab a steaming latte and hang out with Angie and Becky for a podcast that's fun, quirky, and conversational. You'll feel like you're eavesdropping on the women at the table next to you at your favorite coffee shop. And you'll keep coming back for another cup of crime. You can catch all episodes on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter for bonus content. And if you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it as this helps make us easier for others to find. And be sure to tell your friends. Until next time, this is your announcer wishing you a life full of mystery. Mystery.